Welcome everyone to the 10th episode of Yanks Go Talking. We made it 10 episodes. Can you believe it? Thank you everyone for the support. This is our end of season one. We're going to close out with one of the most fun summers of soccer in recent memory. After this, we're going to be taking a quick two-week break for vacations and school starts. But in between, we'll give you never-before-heard interviews, which we'll release as bonus episodes before season two kicks off. Season two is going to start when most of the club seasons kick off and World Cup qualifiers are right around the corner. So we're hoping to have some special guests like World of CONCACAF and the Straight Red Card and others join us. And we'll also give you our preferred 23-man roster for World Cup qualifiers when we kick back off. So before we begin with the finale of season one and wrap up the summer of soccer, if you're listening to this or watching this, the best way to support this podcast is to subscribe, follow the show and channel, like and positively positively review so the super secret algorithm that determines our lives can tell more people about us. And we're just a couple of humans who love this game as much as you do, so why not support us with a follow and a like? It is so easy to do. Tom, I'm out of breath. <laughs> What's going on? How are you? Congratulations on 10 episodes and season one. Thanks, Jake. Doing really good. Excited that we got here to the end of season one and to the end of a great summer of soccer. Seriously, this is about the best I could have asked for, for a bunch of games and a great, successful summer for the U.S. I'm glad you said that because our first recurring segment is Summer <laughs> Stars and Strikes. So who won the summer, who lost the summer, giving us your stars and your strikes. I think one for me, you just touched on it. You had a blast this summer as a U.S. fan. I think the fans won. I think the U.S. men's national team fans won this summer. The team did extremely well, but it was just a very fun and engaging summer to be a soccer fan for this men's national team. It really couldn't have gone better, but for me, I mean, I was excited and happy to wake up at 2 a.m. to watch those games, those finals against Mexico. It was awesome to see a bunch of new faces come into the team. Greg starting to find his feet as a flexible and tactical coach. I mean, everything just kind of went right this summer for the men's national team. Tom, what do you think about that? Do you think the fans won this summer? Oh, absolutely. And if you really like to go to the games, I'm really jealous of you. I know a bunch of people got to go see some amazing games. We were treating some entertaining enthusiastic, passionate U.S. soccer games where we will giving it their all for the U.S. That's all we can ask for. And getting results is just the cherry on top for us. I want to, I want to ask you about your favorite moment because there were some iconic photos, some iconic moments, I feel like, from the summer. Just beating Mexico twice feels so sweet. But that Pulisic penalty kick and then the the celebration in front of the Mexican fans getting pelted with, with items. I mean, that for me was just like one of the best pictures, one of the best moments of the summer. Do you have another or is, is that yours as well? I feel like that's got to be the top moment. I feel like it's better to go for a second moment than a top moment. I feel like my second moment has to be the goal by Miles Robinson in the 117th minute of the Gold Cup final. But there are other candidates out there. You might be more tempted to go with an Ethan Horvath penalty save or a Weston McKenney equalizer or, I don't know, there's so many great goals to choose from. Definitely. I mean, let's talk about some of the players that won then. You mentioned Miles Robinson. He's definitely on my radar as someone that has just shot up the depth chart. I also thought Kellen Acosta, James Sands, Matthew Hoppe, 
basically the entire Gold Cup roster sans uh, Jackson Hewell and Jonathan Lewis kind of won and, and rose up the depth chart. Who are some of the players that really stuck out to you? I feel like Kellen Acosta and Miles Robinson are the two biggest winners of all of this, for sure. They definitely sort of cemented their place as, if not Spurs, at least in the conversation for starting roles on the men's national team. I think my other big winner is going to be Giassi Zardes, where going into the summer, it was Sergeant or DK, Sergeant or Z- DK, who's going to be our starter, who's going to be the backup. And all of a sudden, a door looks pretty wide open for him back in and play of important role in World Cup qualifying. So it's on my list as well. I want to make fun of you for being a Zardes stan, but you can't really argue at this point. I mean, he's one of the most productive strikers that the U.S. has, and whether it's Sargent, whether it's DK, whether it's anyone else, they haven't really taken the the spot from from Zardes, honestly. Um, but yeah, we will continue to make fun of you mm-hmm. for being a Zardes fan. You're one of <laughs> as the long five. as you keep. I'm one of the few. I'm one of the, everyone makes fun of me for it, but it keeps producing for the U.S., so I'll keep doing it. <laughs> Really big, improved player. One of our stars. It's got to be a star for me to be Brendan Aronson, who was excellent throughout the first window and is con- looking to continue that in his club preseason right now. So he's another player that I think we should definitely have on our radar as someone who could make the leap to being up for the U.S. He's definitely someone to keep an eye on. I mean, he didn't really have a lot of room to work with when someone like Pulisic and maybe Timothy Weah are on the wings in front of you on the depth chart. And to be fair, he doesn't play at the most prestigious club team either, but he was such an important part of some of the teams when he was on the field and just his play all around this summer, including some of his preseason. And now Salzburg is in their club season, actually. I mean, he looks to be a top player for the U.S. going forward. Agreed. Yeah, we'll see how his rise goes, but I think I see good things in his future, and it just makes our depth that much better on the wings. Yeah, and I also have one of my my third star is Greg Bearhalter. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. We were pretty harsh on him throughout the summer and didn't have the best kind of uh, opinion of him. I'll say going into the group stages at the Gold Cup, but. I mean, how many times can you win and continue to prove people wrong for having bad formations or bad lineups? If you, your team keeps winning, that's all you really need to care about once you're a coach. But do you think Greg won this summer or was it something else within this team that really elevated them? I, I You got to think Greg Berhalter is a huge winner from this summer. Silenced a lot of critics and made me feel a lot more comfortable going into World Cup qualifying. We had said multiple times throughout the summer that we were not comfortable with him as the head coach through World Cup qualifying. We weren't comfortable with being at a World Cup. But now, after seeing him so masterfully handle the knockout stages of World Cup, of Gold Cup, I feel pretty comfortable with him, and I think a lot of people have apologized to him for being too harsh. So I, I think that we we definitely owe him an apology, and he's definitely a big winner in all of this. Yeah, people giving him apologies, including us, I think, in our, our last episode. I mean, yeah, if you keep winning, we'll we'll keep enjoying your presence as the coach. And if you start losing, then maybe some of that goes out of favor. 
So those were my three stars. I thought the fans won the summer. I thought people like Acosta, Robinson, Sands had great gold cups. Greg was definitely a winner from the summer. Who else was a big winner for you? I've got, this is a strange one, U.S. depth chart maker on Twitter and Reddit as a big winner <laughs> this summer because all of a sudden, like, there's not just like one roster you can make. There are now three solid rosters of strong depth. And it gets to the second or third before I see a player where I'm uncomfortable with having them on the field in a World Cup qualifier. The summer was really big for showing us just how deep our pool is and how fast it's ending game. So <laughs> I'll add that in there meta. as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so any any other winners before we move to our strikes? I think that's pretty much it. I think our depth, our face, some of the players, and our coach are the big four things we can take away positively from the summer. Definitely. All right, so who lost the summer? Who are you striking from this summer? I feel like i got to start with the obvious players who just were up to snuff and lost position real time. So a player like Jackson Yule or Jonathan Lewis is a very obvious strike for the summer because they fell out of favor and hard. The other big loser has to be Zach Steffen, who saw himself get eclipsed in not but who by people who had legendary performances. And all of a sudden, it's not, okay, Zach Steffen is the starter. It's there's a three-way battle for our starting goalkeeper. Who's it going to be? Yeah, I did like the response, though. He probably wasn't thinking about it, but him playing for Man City throughout the preseason and then playing in the Community Shield trophy against Leicester City, he had some incredible saves and looked good in distribution. They lost on a penalty kick, which he chose the right way, but wasn't able to save a a top 90 shot. But man, oh man, do we have some... We have at least three keepers that are starter-worthy I think no one, it's going to be a big conversation once we get to World Cup qualifying, who's going to start these games. Oh, yeah, it's definitely going to be. I think we'll see all three. And so down to the form at the time, I think Greg goes with a hot hand. And I think that's going to be different every single time. Yeah, I totally agree that Jackson Ewell was a a loser from this this summer. I actually thought... uh, yeah, Stefan probably moves down the depth chart for a few people. Serginho Dest has also somehow not really put in performances that are indicative of a Barcelona player playing for the U.S. men's national team. I'm not saying he's lost his spot on the depth chart or as a starter, but he didn't really give us a ton of confidence in the games that he played this summer for the U.S. men's national team. And he's even replaced, I think we saw, Maybe Timothy Weah or Kellen Acosta play left back for a bit in the Mexico final to to replace him. So, again, I don't think he lost his roster spot, but I need to see a bit more from Serginho Dest from a player that is starting for Barcelona and playing for this U.S. men's national team. Oh, yeah, for sure. you got to think that he wants to close the door on any competition for that spot. And he really hasn't done that. He's left the door open for people like Anthony Robinson to push him out of the left, Shaq Moore and Reggie Cannon to push him on the right. So even a DeAndre Yedlin can get in there and did play in the Nations League final. So options remain open at fullback. George Bellow and Vines growing and developing is only going to make that room a little bit more crowded. So 
Death needs to start putting in a little bit better performances to just lock down that spot at right back. I know this will make a lot of U.S. men's national team fans happy, but I thought Mexico was a huge loser from this summer. Uh, Losing two finals and not making the gold game in the Olympics with their U23 team. I mean, it couldn't really have been a worse summer for Mexico. Yes, they made the finals, but man, man, oh man, did they drop in terms of their CONCACAF. Uh, dominance. What did you think about this Mexico team going into World Cup qualifiers? You've got to feel like they're in a state of chaos, a state of day. There will be people in the FMF hitting the panic about what this means for World Cup qualifying. And I think the most worrying thing to me is that this Mexico team seems incapable of finishing, incapable of the plastic paper. And that's not a position you want to be in a month before you start playing World Cup qualifiers, especially on the road in CONCACAF against teams who hate you. So I I think that there are people who are going to be really worried about the state of the Mexican national team as we go into next month of games. I'm not too worried. <laughs> they, they can be <laughs> as bad as they want to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not, I'm fine with it too. If Tata Martino can't find a way to score and they get 14 draws, I will be happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's kind of one of those. Do you wish your rival is as strong as you, or what does that look like? But they've had their moment in the sun for a bit. We didn't make the last World Cup. I'm really just focusing on the U.S. right now. And you know what? If we make the World Cup and three other never before seen Concacaf teams make it, I don't really care if Mexico falls off the face of the earth for the next five years. Now, do you see signs of Mexico looking a lot like 2017 U.S. men's national team? Yes and no. Uh, Their team is unequivocally better player for player than we were. Mm -hmm. Um, I would even argue that like the gold cup team was better than our 2017, a team that didn't make the gold cup. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm saying like, yeah, I don't really care about Mexico. They can fall off the face of the earth, but I do think they're going to be a big player in CONCACAF. Their players are too good to not be like holding their own against these teams. And I think the U.S. is not going to be shaken by these CONCACAF teams. Whereas I think if if you had listened to uh, Pulisic's interview with the Crack podcast, which was Really interesting listen. It's Demarcus Beasley and Aguchi Onyewu. He was talking about how he's he's not really worried for this U.S. team. It seems like the mentality is there that no matter who they're facing, they have a chance to win. And that wasn't really there for the team in 2017, but it feels like it's back now. I think the Mexico team is probably just more in a state of like confidence uh, gap right now and. Being in bad form, losing twice to your rivals in finals over the summer, I think, yeah, it's not great, but they're they're well set up to easily qualify for the World Cup, if I'm being completely honest about it. That's fair. I think my main worry with them is their age. I mean, Ochoa's 38. You've got players like Guardado who are getting up there in age. People like Hector Herrera are not young anymore, so... My worry for them is that are they going to rely too much on older players and is that going to come back to bite them when it comes to World Cup qualifying where you have three match windows and you know your depth is going to be important. Can these guys go for that long? They better recruit more uh, dual 
nationals and become America's B team. <laughs> oh, that's going to get you some angry responses on Twitter. <laughs> I, I hope that we reach enough people for people to be upset about that. Um, I have my third strike as the women's national team, but actually, as we're talking about this, I think I want to give my third strike to Jason Christ. The, the only <laughs> way the summer could have been better for the U.S. national team, for the men's national team, was if we had played in the Olympics and played a somewhat full under-23 squad. And just thinking about what that team looked like that Jason Christ didn't qualify for the Olympics for, and then thinking about there's news that David Ochoa is going to commit to Mexico's team. Julian Araujo, who was on the Olympic team, is maybe leaning towards Mexico. It just seems like we're going to be paying that Jason Christ tax for a while, not just in the dual nationals that didn't have a great experience, but the fact that we didn't have an additional competition and opportunity to win a gold medal. What do you, do you think the women's national team or Jason Christ had a worse summer? Oh, Jason Christ definitely gets the worst summer. The U.S. women's national team at least got a result. It wasn't the result they hoped for, but they still looked great in some of their matches and were unlucky not to make the gold medal game. I, on the other hand, you can't see anything that Jason Christ did for the U.S. as anything but an abject failure. And technically his games were in March, so they wouldn't be considered part of the summer, but we're still feeling the effects of that this summer and we see our youth teams this summer. Plus, we've all talked about this in podcasts and stuff before. It's something the U.S. team, U.S. Uh, podcasting community really complains about. There are no youth camps. There are no youth matches for us to actually see players play, which just makes it more important to get them on the full national team at a younger age. We lost out a chance to send people like Gianluca Busio or Daryl D to the Olympics and see what they can do in a competitive tournament against some of the best youth players in the world. And that's just really unacceptable for a country as big as the U.S. Yeah. So those were my strikes. I think, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with Jason Christ. We're just going to have this lagging factor that's going to impact us for a while yet. Were there any other strikes from the summer for you? I want to give one to Costa Rica as well. I think that they probably have earned one. Um, I think coming into this summer, you know, it's been a traditional top three powerhouse setup in CONCACAF of Mexico and the U.S. fighting it out for one and two. Costa Rica is the clear three and everyone else below. But Costa Rica had a horrible summer. They got beat by Mexico in the semifinals of Nations League. The U.S. the doors off of them in the uh, friendly after the Nations League was over. Then they go out and got bounced in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup by a weakened Canada squad. So, And that was most of their A-team players, too. So you've got to think that Costa Rica is in bad shape. They're aging. They don't really have a lot of talent coming up to replace the stars who had been there for years. And at this point, I'm not sure that they would even be favored to finish fourth in the octagonal as it gets started up here in the next month or so yeah i was about to say even putting into perspective what that looks like for costa rica not only do they have an aging squad that's not winning a ton of games but canada looks to really be rising in the ranks of Concacaf teams jamaica seemed to solidify their standing as a top four Concacaf team throughout the gold cup 
I mean, Costa Rica is not going to have an easy time. They can't depend on just historical performances come World Cup qualifiers. And there's going to be three games every window. So we, we can't touch on this enough that depth is going to play a huge role. And you're bringing aging squad to play three games over seven days. That is not going to end well for your team. No, it's not. And a younger team like El Salvador is hungry and looks great in the Gold Cup too. I'm not sure that Costa Rica can reliably beat a team like that these days. So, yeah, I, I feel like there's sort of a changing the guard going on in CONCACAF right now as we see the younger, more talented, you know, Jamaica-Canada sides replacing an aging Costa Rica side that had a true golden generation that's just not quite up to it anymore. Yeah, so perfect transition, Tom. We didn't plan this, but great on you to to mention the El Salvador's, the Canada's, some of these things that we learned throughout the summer are going to be, you know, blips on the radar or dips and rises in form. I want to talk about real quickly, what can we actually take away from the summer that's going to stick? Like, is the U.S. here to stay? Is our depth that good? Is a team like El Salvador going to be a real player in CONCACAF going forward? Like, what are you really taking away from the summer that isn't just a fad or a blip on the radar, something that's really going to stick? I think what you can take away is the continued rise of CONCACAF, just as a region as a whole. We've seen teams like Canada and Jamaica raise their squad levels, just look at transfer market values, if nothing else, not even their performances on the field. You've seen the U.S. now fielding two deep squads that are just good Guadalajara Cup with A-team players. You're seeing Jamaica recruiting great dual nationals. This is a trend that continues with teams like Curacao and Haiti. Sam is also doing this. CONCACAF is just continuing to raise its level, raise its profile, bring in more talent from Europe, ship more talent to Europe. So the more competitive this region gets, the better it is in the U.S., the more important games we play, and the better chance we have to get into a big international tournament. So I think we're just going to see this level continue to raise. I completely agree. And for me, this is obviously a a biased opinion, but I really feel like this was a summer of instituting, of reinstituting the American grit that we saw throughout the early 2000s. And like I said, with the Pulisic interview and the podcast, it just seems like even from an outsider perspective, following this team, there is never a time where they're going to drop their head or feel like they're inferior to their opponent. Even if they look on the roster and man for man, they're not the best team. They're going to go out there and fight as hard as they can. We saw that with the Nations League, with the A team. But I mean, credit to our B, C team, whatever you want to call it in the Gold Cup. We kind of saw from, you know, player one in the pool to player 50 that you're going to work as hard as you can for the people around you. And that's just not something we really saw over the last four or five years as a U.S. fan. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. They have just such a great grit and determination. They always fight. They always find a way to get it done, even if their back's against the wall. I mean, I've mentioned it before, but we had five knockout games this summer. We scored an equalizer or a match winner after the 82nd minute, all of those games, which is just an outstanding accomplishment. That's Even if you're the better team in most of those games, it's hard to do that. And having the mental fortitude to sort of stick in there and hang on and still get the job done at the end is just 
something like that has been missing for the U.S. for a long time, and it's wonderful to have. Yeah, if we can have that and someone like Matthew Hoppy just swagging up and down the field, I think all of us as fans can be very happy and proud of this team. All right, so we mentioned when we come back, it'll be the start of the club seasons for all around the world, the Premier League, Bundesliga included. The league Un season got started with Conrad De La Fuente having an assist last night. So we are going to talk about some of the transfers that we're tracking. It was just announced about 10 minutes before we went live. The official transfer of Gianluca Busio to Syria A at Venazia. He joins Tanner Tessman. So now two MLS midfielders that are American going to a newly promoted team. What do you think your expectations are for Busio and Tessman and what Venezia is going to look like? I, I'm excited for this Venezia team. It's going to be a trendy team for U.S. fans to support, but it feels like their owners been in FIFA career mode and just sort of going out and saying, what Americans can I get and how they're around them? And I'm excited to see how Tessman and Busio fit into the setup. With as much money as Busio went for, you expect him to plug in as a starter pretty much immediately and see a lot of minutes for Venezia. I think Tessman's more project and see him make positions. We've talked about that before. We could see him sort of coming off the bench, but I still think he has a crucial role to play. So hopefully we see these two working well together. They fit in with their teammates. They can handle the level of Serie A and keep Venezia up. That's sort of the main goal for me for them is to keep them up for more than just one year. Yeah, I do expect Busio to start most matches, Tessman probably coming off the bench. But if there's one thing I learned about American transfers over the last few years and what this team looks like is that grit and determination comes out when new transfers come about. So if Tanner Tessman's not working his ass off to win a starting spot from day one, then I would be very surprised. So I do think he starts on the bench features in most matches, but I would not be surprised and neither should you if Tanner Tessman starts to creep his way into the starting 11 for Venezia. Oh, yeah. I, I Is this sort of a factor of the U.S.'s overall squad level raising its game that all of our club players are starting to raise their game in order to match what they need to do for call-ups? Do you think? I do. Yeah, I do think it's similar to, you know, it, it's similar but different from when Jurgen Klinsmann was the coach and he said, Go to Europe if you want to really have pressure on you to improve all the time. Whereas I think now it's like you need to go to Europe to even be part of the team, to be considered for the team. Like, yes, Greg is going to have two to five players from MLS come to the the team because they deserve it. But really, like if you want to prove yourself, because remember, Tanner Tessman was not on any of these U.S. teams throughout the summer. (laughs) Like he, mm-hmm. in Greg's mind, like he might not even be in one through 50 of the best U.S. players. And yet he's going for four or five million to a top division in Europe. So, yeah, I, I do think a lot of these are the, the extent to which you see U.S. players really needing to force their way into this team. And guys, we're, we're now in a World Cup year. Uh, the World Cup is next winter. So, Yes, they're going to have one and a half seasons from here to really win their spot on the 23 at the World Cup. You're going to see a lot of transfers, whether it's this summer or this coming winter, to really prove that they deserve to be in that 23 because it's starting to look very crowded already 
and we're still uh, over a year away. Um, speaking of someone that might be doing that, Sam Vines has moved to Royal Antwerp in Belgium to start his European career. What do you think of that move? This move came out of left field for me. I always sort of peg Vines as an MLS lifer and just sort of a testament to what we've been talking about, about needing to raise your level to be considered for the squad that he made this move and he's headed to Europe. And I'm excited for it. I don't know about you. Any, any thoughts about it? I am just excited to see him in an environment where there is pressure, like we talked about. I think I saw signs of why coaches like him and why he was called into the U.S. team. But I need to see him move to another level if he's going to make his way above Anthony Robinson, above Dest at left back and Yedlin at right back or something like that. And even, I mean, George Bello had a great game against Mexico in the Gold Cup final, comes back to Atlanta, has a crazy assist uh, in his first game back. Like George Bello is going to have a higher ceiling than Sam Vines unless Sam Vines finds another gear in Belgium. So, yeah, I do think Vines is probably MLS worthy and Royal Antwerp in Belgium is probably a good spot where it might be similar competition, but the pressure is higher. So... Yeah, I mean, good move for from my perspective. I don't expect him to blow it out of the water, but if he does, then I'll attribute it to him needing to be on the roster going forward for the U.S. team. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. His his cross has always been good for ground crosses. It'd be nice to see him pick up a little bit more of an aerial threat, putting the ball into his teammates' heads. I, I would like to see him improve his defense. I thought it was decent during the Gold Cup and actually surprised me a little bit, but... Seeing him in Belgium gives him a chance to sort of raise these aspects of his game, get better going forward, get better defensively, and just prove that he has, you know, earned a spot on the roster. Because I think he's at least in the conversation now after the Gold Cup, whereas before we were bringing mostly right backs and maybe an Anthony Robinson and just making do. Yeah, and I mean, the only thing I really want to see from Sam Vines is for him to shave his facial hair. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> He has some of the worst facial hair I've ever seen on a professional player. <laughs> don't they make enough money to, I don't know. Weston McKinney has like his own photo journalist like following him around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These guys, but, yeah, uh, they should make enough for a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Anthony Robinson wasn't really on our list, but he is someone we should mention. I mean, started the first championship game for Fulham along with Tim Ream, who captained the side. There were a lot of rumors whether he went to Man City. Last year, he was actually in a medical for uh, AC Milan and got put back to Fulham. Do you think Anthony Robinson moves before the transfer window is closed? I don't know. If it did, it'd be sort of out of left field well because I've heard zero rumors around him for the last three weeks or so. Yeah, definitely cooled off in the, the last few weeks. So the next two that haven't been assigned a team yet but Cole Bassett possibly has interest from Benfica but I was reading an article that they if they do buy him they expect him to play and start on the U23 team to get used to life and football in Portugal do you think that's a good move possibly for Cole Bassett I mean he's been a really solid MLS player over the last year and he's been rapidly so it would be see him just it'd be nice to see him join a team and see what he's got this is sort of a move that you've seen a lot of players. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. I'm more about a player joining a U23 team than I am about them joining a 
full team, especially in Portugal. But he's another player that he's going to be buried on the depth chart if he doesn't make a move. And so this is his chance to really see what he can do and make something happen. Yeah, and we saw that with Keaton Parks actually started his career at Benfica in their academy. I uh, was kind of blowing up in their U23 team, and we all got hyped about him. And then he he can really break into the starting 11 and move back to NYCFC. Um, so the two that we're probably most excited about and what you want to hear is Matthew Hoppy going to somewhere. And it also looks like Josh Sargent uh, to Norwich is going to be confirmed later today. Um, apparently he's in Norwich right now having a physical uh, for £8 million going to the Premier League side. If you had a team for Matthew Hoppy to go to, what's your perfect team for him to land? I'm not sure if he's ready for your team yet. I don't know about you. I, I feel like the upper championship team, a la DK, would be a good spot for him to land for a year, improve his physicality, maybe get better at beating some people off the dribbles he tries. Um, but at the same time, he landed on a team sort of of Norwich's caliber where he could get regular minutes in the Premier League and show that he had, you know, improved and earned them, then that would be a good for him as well. But it's sort of hard to gauge considering we've seen so little at the professional level. We've seen five matches of him out of position of the Gold Cup, and we've seen, what, 10 games at Schalke with one of the most abysmal midfields in all of professional soccer. So yeah. it's so hard to judge his skill. I worry about him a bit because the transfer rumors are like Manchester United, Tottenham are are interested in him. And I almost feel like his situation and Sargent's are kind of backwards. Like Schalke is a team that is in decline. They have a crazy mismanagement situation happening right now. And Bremen, even though they have a fire sale of their top players, it is somewhat expected that they're going to be back in the Bundesliga sooner rather than later. So for someone like Matthew Hoppe, I actually don't mind if he stays in the second Bundesliga, just not as Schalke. Schalke is not a good team. They're not going to be a good team in the second Bundesliga this year. But I do think that would be good for him, honestly. He needs those opportunities still to get game time. And if he was somewhere like Bremen, for example, I actually think I wouldn't mind too much if he stayed the year. Um, but yes, yeah, a team like Norwich, maybe a team uh, in the top division in Germany or Serie A even, just would help him to kind of flesh out his physicality, how he wants to play, and just give him more repetitions at the striker position. Honestly, a Fulham or a Bremen would be a great spot for him to land. I, I would yeah. be very happy to see him on either of those squads. People would be really unhappy in the U.S. community to see him at Bremen because they just got out of watching Bremen games. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I know they lost their Pokal game, but they're, they are going to be good in the Bundesliga this year. They should play a more possession-style game. And you can already see that they were probably a second Bundesliga-quality team last year, and that's why they got relegated, yeah. obviously. Um so any other transfers that you're excited to see or hear about? I think we need to touch on Sargent to Norwich a little bit more just to just to sort of see what we think that's going to look like. I, I think yeah. for me, he's the backup to Tibu Puki, but still going to get a lot of minutes and a lot of chances to show what he's got. I did do a thread on how Norwich plays and, and what I expect if Sargent transfers there. 
What I think will happen is actually, and this will make a lot of US fans upset as well, they do play a system where their front three interchanges with each other a lot. And Josh Sargent has shown himself to be capable on the wing for Bremen. So if Norwich is buying him for eight million pounds, that's quite a hefty fee for a newly promoted team. And I would expect him to get lots of minutes. Timo Puki is kind of a legend in Norwich. Um, has been with them through their ups and downs through the Premier League and back to the Championship. I don't expect Josh Sargent to start every match ahead of him, but I will say this. If you're worried about Josh Sargent playing on the wing or starting games on the wing, the way that the coach played in the Championship, and it looks like he's really not backing down from the attacking style playing in the Premier League, he will get chances to tuck inside, play as a striker, and really interchange with the front three at Norwich. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be a good move for him. I, I think getting better at playing on the wing is not a bad thing, given how central Reyna likes to move in, like inside, and having those two be able to interchange for the U.S. is important for us. I also We also know that Timu Puki is not necessarily the most consistent. He sort of started on fire for Norwich, what was it, two seasons ago, and then really faded down the stretch. So having someone who can take some of the load off him at striker is going to be pretty important for Norwich. So it's honestly a really good landing spot for him. I completely agree. And usually for newly promoted teams, like even when we talk about Busio and Tessman for Venezia, I'm not totally confident that they're going to get a lot of time on the ball. Like they might spend more time defending or playing in a lower block where as Norwich, even though they're newly promoted, I actually do expect them to play attacking football and really try and keep possession keep hold of the ball. So their midfielders are much more capable than the ones that were feeding Josh Sargent at Bremen. So yeah, I think it's a good landing spot. I'm excited to see another American in the Premier League. And Norwich has yo-yoed between Premier League and Championship twice over the last five years. So this is really their chance to kind of solidify their, their way into the Premier League and stay there for a longer time. All right, Tom. So we are nearing the end of the episode. I just want to close out and ask you, what are you most excited about going into this club season? Like, give us a look ahead at at what's on your mind. My, you know, I'm a person who doesn't really have a club team. I just sort of watch whatever floats my boat, whatever is interesting to me. It's a weird position to be in for an American fan. I know a lot of people have a Premier League team or a team in another league, so I'm just excited to see the drama unfold, see how it all develops. We've got a lot of players playing in the Champions League. How does John Brooks respond to his first Champions League campaign? How does Pulisic respond to new signings at Chelsea? How does he fight for minutes there? Reyna looks to be playing a new position. What does that look like? Weston McKenney's new manager and possibly a new position as well. Can he do something with that? Dest has competition at Barcelona. All of our good players are going to really be challenged, and we're going to see how they respond. And hopefully we see great things from them. It would be really fun to see the Americans continue their meteoric rise in Europe. I think that's well said. It's, it's not really one specific thing that we're excited about it's a culmination of so many just there's almost an abundance it feels like american talent now not just in england but in mls it's like there's so many young players coming out of academies that you should expect to move to europe in the next few years and 
It just it's just a feel good time, guys. It's just a feel good time <laughs> to be a US fan and we should be excited about what's coming. So oh, yeah. From Yanksko talking from me and Tom, we have really enjoyed starting this podcast. We really appreciate all the support. Like I said at the beginning, if you enjoyed this episode, if you want to support, the best way to do that is like and subscribe to the content. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, follow and give a positive review that really helps the algorithm send it out to more and more people. Season one finale. We made it to 10 episodes. Tom, send us out. How does it feel? I mean, if we had a great soccer, it's an amazing time to be a U.S. fan. I've said it before. There's never been better time than just really following. I'm happy to have you all here. I'm so happy to have you guys just some great stuff so look forward to it we're just a happy bunch that's that's it (laughs) 